I'm Jack Zemlicka, and welcome to this episode of our 2020 Strip-Till Farmer podcast series supported by TopCon Agriculture. In today's program, we get some expert insight and advice on putting strip-tillers in the best position to prepare for spring planting season. If this is your first time joining us, I'd encourage you to subscribe to this podcast series, currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. And a reminder that by subscribing, you will be able to get an alert when upcoming episodes in this series are released. Thanks again to TopCon Agriculture for its support of this podcast series. Agronomy matters, and TopCon Agriculture application solutions make it work. From planning to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping to data management, you have the total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit them at topconpositioning.com slash growing solutions. There may be nothing worse for strip tillers than heading to the fields in spring and being sidelined by a maintenance issue with their planter, especially if the window of opportunity to plant is tight and a breakdown could have been avoided. Proper maintenance and checkups during the off-season can help ensure planting season gets started without a hitch. In today's Strip-Till Farmer podcast, we chat with planting expert Phil Needham of Needham Ag Technologies, who shares his top tips for getting prepared for planting this year. Well, excited here today to have the opportunity to chat with Phil Needham. And Phil, I know you said it's raining kind of in your neck of the woods today, but I think that gives us an opportunity here as we prepare for planning just to maybe get some thoughts from you on some things to look for. But I guess I'd just like to give you an opportunity to give a brief introduction of yourself and a little bit of your background. So I came to this country in 1989 as an agronomist. So I was brought to this country by a large ag retailer that serviced primarily Kentucky and surrounding states with ag retail input, seed fertilizer chemicals mainly. And my original role was in wheat management. So we brought across a lot of European crop management practices. And that was big in helping or increasing yields in Kentucky and surrounding states. And we moved further west and then further north. So it gave me a lot of opportunities to work with lots of different growers, with different crops, with different soils, with different rainfalls, different environments over the years. And more recently, we've now got our own company, Needham Ag Technologies, and I still do the agronomy component, but we also sell some equipment, primarily drill parts, planter parts. We're also a Martin planter dealer, so we sell Martin row cleaners, fertilizer openers, and closing wheels. So that's a little about my background. So, Phil, maybe just kind of setting the stage here with what we're looking at here in 2020, but what are some things that you've kind of seen historically that maybe come up each season in terms of that planting opportunity that farmers see? Maybe some lessons learned that you've kind of noticed that are either kind of repetitive and things that are kind of on your radar even before anybody gets going in the field. Sure. So repetitive, I hope, isn't the word I'm going to see this year, but repetitive may be the case. We've had 16 inches of rainfall this year so far, and we're supposed to get two or three more inches for the rest of this week. And for us, we don't need another wet spring. Following last year and the year before, that just gives us another whole number of challenges from a point of view of being able to plant the crop in a timely fashion. And that's important for us because generally the earlier planted corn does better. We beat some of that 
some are heat, some are dry weather. So for us, when we have a wet spring, it gives us the challenges of delaying planting itself. And it also gives us the challenges of just getting a clean seed slot cut, getting that seed slot closed, getting uniform emergence like we've been promoting for 30 years. I mean, the moisture gives us a lot of challenges from a point of view of achieving all of those tasks, okay? Absolutely. And I know moisture, like you mentioned, was a big challenge, particularly last year. And I've also heard that from some farmers this year that obviously that's a concern that they're evaluating now, and particularly as some start to kind of take a look out there and see what they can plan for in their fields. What are some things you're seeing this year so far? where we sit today and I guess some of the insight or feedback you're getting from whether it's customers or personally what you're seeing in the field? So what I've seen and I've worked in other countries as partially discussed earlier on, but what I see with the U.S. producers generally, they're always going into a season with a pretty optimistic mind. And if you can compare and contrast to other countries, done quite a bit of work over the years with growers in Australia and New Zealand, and Australia's had some pretty challenging conditions of late, primarily from a point of view of dry weather. And if they come off a dry season, they're not as willing and interested to invest as much in the following crop generally. Compare it to this country, farmers generally start out the season optimistically, and I'm seeing that this year like we generally do. Even the guys that had preventive plant last year are still ready to get ready and plant a good crop this year. What I really mean is setting themselves up for success. They're going through their planters. They're measuring disc openers. They're checking clearance between disc openers. They're going through the parallel arms. They're having their meters checked. They're selecting their corn hybrids to try and find the better hybrids and position them on the right field. So most of the farmers are still going through all of that right now. If they haven't done already, I'd certainly encourage them to do so. But we've got to start out right. You want to get a uniform seeding depth on your corn or beans and you want to get that seed slot closed the fertilizer needs to be ideally placed in a band below the seed if it's strip till alongside the seed under the seed preferably if it's no-till still see some guys trying to dribble it out of the back on the soil surface and we've not had great luck with that i mean it's probably better than broadcast but not by much so if you can consistently place that fertilizer in a band with a fertilizer opener alongside the row if it's no-till there's a lot of advantages to that because obviously roots grow out and down they don't grow upwards to pick up a band of fertilizer that's surface applied in a band okay Absolutely. So when we're talking about the setup on a planter, thinking about whether it is that strip-till environment or no-till environment, what are some of the things you're seeing or recommending in terms of a setup, particularly if we're expecting to be in store for potentially another wet spring? Most growers need a residue manager up front. Most of the research will say that a floating row cleaner will perform much better than a fixed one. I mean, fixed ones were introduced 25, 30 years ago, and back then that was as good as what we have. But a floating row cleaner follows the contours of the ground to clear a path of residue if it's no-till and lightly scratch that soil surface to facilitate faster soil warming. Now, if it's strip till or a conventional till, they help smooth off that seed zone or that area where the seed's going to be planted, knocking clods out of the way, knocking some corn stalks out of the way if it's corn on corn. So I'm going to say up front, a row cleaner is pretty important to generate that rye quality that you need. You don't want the gate wheels fluttering over the top of clods or residue. So a floating row cleaner helps achieve that. 
I like fertilizer openers and depending what planter a guy has and what his system is, I really want to see at least a band of nitrogen off to the side in a two by two, preferably on one side. Some soils, quite a lot of soils actually, are very responsive to FOSS. So it's pretty common for us to put some FOSS, whether it's five gallons at 10340 and 15 gallons at 28% or mixtures thereof, we see benefits to getting some FOSS with that nitrogen in that band. More recently, there's quite a lot of interest from a point of view of two by two by two, which is obviously two bands of nitrogen, one on either side of the row, two inches deep, preferably, or at least deeper than the seed. But from a practical perspective, that's very difficult to achieve because it takes a lot of downforce or a lot of ballast on that planter bar to keep those fertilizers in the ground to a consistent basis. So I like the idea. If it's conventional till, you can do it. But a lot of systems sold are barely getting it under the soil surface, which is better than surface banding. But I think getting it to the side and deeper than the seed on one side is better than getting it shallow on the top on both sides. But there's a lot of variability there from a point of view of rainfall and soils. But the bottom line is at least one side you need to get fertilizer in a band within is my suggestion. We'll get back to our discussion shortly, but I wanted to once again thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for making this podcast possible. And welcome in Dr. Ray Acevedo, former assistant professor of precision agriculture at Kansas State University and consultant for TopCon Agriculture. In this week's technology tips from Dr. Ray, he shares some thoughts on simplifying sensing technology to be a valuable data source. A lot of people are interested in remote sense technologies with the idea that it's going to help them make better management decisions. The data is more easily interpretable. And with the connectivity piece and getting your data out of the cab being easier, the idea is that your sensor data gets back to where it needs to go for a farmer to use. Or no more sensor systems like with active optical sensors like Green Seeker, Crop Spec, or Weed Seeker, or Ag Leader Optical Flavor is doing real-time recommendation and application was a big deal. One thing I have noticed going in here to 2020 is that I think our remote sensing tools, particularly ones that are either mounted on a cab or on your sprayer or even uh, active optical sensors that are can be mounted to a drone are going to be a big deal. It's important for people to realize that when we talk about things like active optical sensors. This isn't a camera per se. I mean, these things don't generate imagery, but what they do generate is an actual crop map that can be utilized to help you make things like nitrogen recommendations or tell where you have a potential insect problem or make yield estimations on a field. And I'm starting to see a big resurgence of interest and effort, both from the farm and agronomy level, but also from a company tech level on looking back at this technology of active optical sensors. It was a data technology. A lot of people started using about 15 years ago, but it was difficult to use. The connectivity piece wasn't there. User interfaces were clunky. But now I'm starting to see a lot more effort in that space. Somebody just Googled up what's happening with active optical sensors in ag. They'll see a huge resurgence in all these 
these different companies making efforts in this space. And so I think you're going to see in the springtime when we start looking at crop care, fertilizer applications and those kind of things, farmers are going to notice that there's a lot of companies out there starting to push these kind of remote sensing tools because of now their further ease of use and immediate actionable data that can be utilized for a recommendation. Let's get back to the program now and hear more from Phil Needham, who discusses some of the pre-planting questions he frequently gets asked by farmers. Phil, at this point in the year, too, what are some of the questions you're getting, whether from customers or farmers you're working with? And these could be on the agronomic side, could be on the equipment side, could be on the technology side. What are some of the common themes that are emerging so far at this point in the year? Well, recently, like really recently with the rain that's forecasted and as wet as it has been, there's a lot of growers that are practicing cover crops. And maybe they've not gone across all of their acres. Maybe they're just trying to try it on 50 acres or 100 acres on a small scale. And I'd really encourage them to do that. But there's a lot of growers out there that can use cover crops successfully. Now, that region's going to be very limited. You can only extend so far north because there's obviously a lot of challenges up there getting the crop out of the field let alone getting a cover crop planted. But in areas like what we're within in the Ohio Valley, we can plant cover crops until the end of October, maybe early to mid-November some years, and get a good cover crop established by now in the middle of March. And we saw that last year. It was unusually warm in December, January, and we've got a lot of growth in our cover crops. And a lot of those producers are now concerned some of those cover crops are going to get really big and away from them. Now, if a grower's planting green, that's fine, but not everybody's got a level of comfort in which they want to crimp and plant green. So that takes a lot of management. That's one of the challenges with cover crops. Some people are worried about how big some of these cover crops are getting. But again, if you're planting green, that's fine. If anybody's strip tilling and there's some guys looking at strip till, and I encourage strip till if it's a guy that's using full tillage, with all the rainfall that we've got and getting, especially these heavy rains, I'm always concerned about soil erosion on some of these rolling fields. So if we can reduce some of that tillage by moving from full width conventional tillage to strip till, I mean, that's obviously a good way to go. There's still a lot of producers, especially this far south, that could probably transition to no-till and don't use the strip till. But if you're in that full tillage system, then the next logical step is to go to strip till, okay? And from a point of view of strip till, some producers did a good job strip tilling. They produced a really good strip. Some of the challenges that we have with strip till is on slopes. You really can't strip till up and down a slope, obviously, especially when you've got heavy rains because some of the erosion is just really a challenge. Absolutely. Absolutely. So last question I had was if there's maybe three things on your checklist, bits of advice, I guess, that you would have as kind of your primary takeaways then for growers as they prepare to get ready to get out in the field here this spring, what would those be in your mind? Certainly go through your planter now. Make sure everything's up to spec from a point of view of dimensions and make sure it's got the right closing wheels on it. We've not even got into that part, but it's pretty important to have the right closing wheels for the conditions. If you think you're going to be planting a lot into moister soils, you probably need a spike closing wheel. Spike closing wheels will spade in them sidewalls 
rather than trying to smash it closed with many of the wheels that are available on the market that are better suited for drier soils. So go through your planter, make sure it's configured for what you think the conditions are going to be planting or you're going to be planting into this spring. So that would be number one. I would say number two, like we talked about, hybrid placement. Make sure you're putting the right hybrids on the right soil types. Check your seeding deck. Make sure you've got adequate down pressure when you do start planting. I'm a huge advocate of pneumatic downforce or hydraulic downforce. There's lots of systems out there. And monitor it. Set your margins appropriately. If you've got wet soils, you don't need to be out there putting a lot of downforce on them row units. You need to ensure that the gauge wheels are firmly against the soil surface, but we don't need to be using too much. It's pretty easy to get too much with a spring down pressure system. And that's one of the big advantages of hydraulic or pneumatic downforce. You can adjust it by soil type, by topography within the field, so you can go across the field without a lot of sidewall compaction. Is there anything, I guess, in terms of evaluating soil conditions or field conditions, something to look for, maybe a little early to kind of make that assessment, but when the time comes, thinking about what variables might come into play when getting out there and being sure the conditions are going to be right, and that's going to be a window that strip tillers are going to want to get out there and take advantage of? Yeah, I mean, I had a conversation with a grower this morning. He was in Oklahoma, and he saw sidewall compaction problems in his corn last year. And he was asking what could he do to eliminate some of them sidewall compaction issues. And I told him, number one, you probably need to be a little bit more patient. He had some clay soil, so you absolutely don't need to be out there in moist clay soils planting or wet clay soils planting. So number one, patience is often a virtue, meaning you probably need to wait a few days or find some fields that you can plant a little wetter. Maybe there's some sandier soils on another end of the farm, but you can caution plant a little wetter. But I just don't want to see people out there mudding corn in because nothing happens when you mud corn in. If you have to plant through a few wetter spots, some of the closing wheels do better in them environments. Again, the spike wheels are really good to spade those side walls and close the slot from the bottom up rather than some of these tooth wheels that are pressing down from the top requiring a lot of downforce. You're basically hammering the seed slot closed and it looks like it's closed on the soil surface but when you carefully dig down to seed depth, oftentimes you've got a cavity right there where the seed's sitting. So make sure you've got seed to soil contact around all of the seeds. So dig different rows when you're planting, look at rows carefully and make sure the seed slot is closed at the top, but make sure you've got good seed to soil contact all the way down at seed level too. Well, thank you, Phil, for sharing some advice and tips on proactively preparing for planting this year. And again, we'd like to thank and recognize our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for helping make this Strip-Till Farmer podcast series possible. I certainly look forward to your feedback on today's program, so feel free to drop me an email at jzemlicka at lessitermedia.com or give me a call at 262-777-2441. You can also keep up on the latest Strip-Till practices impacting your farm today by registering online at striptailfarmer.com for our free Strip-Till Strategies daily e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Strip-Till, F-A-R-M-R, and on our Strip-Till Farmer Facebook page. Well, I hope that you'll join us again for the next episode in our 2020 podcast series. For Phil Needham, TopCon Agriculture, and our entire staff here with Strip-Till Farmer, I'm Jack Zemlicka. Thanks for listening.